This episode of Writing Excuses is brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your free trial membership. Season 8, Episode 43. This is Writing Excuses, realistic mealy fighting with Wesley Chu. Fifteen minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Howard. And we have Wesley Chu. Do you like to go by Wes or Wesley? Uh, goodbye. Anything, actually. Okay. Um, Wesley's good. Wesley. So, anything. Uh, tell us a little bit about your book. Um, the name of my book is The Lives of Tao. It's about it's modern science fiction, about an alien who inhabits a middle-aged loser and convinces him to fight in a civil war over humanity's evolution. Okay. So, that sounds awesome. That's great. And you are a martial artist. What's your martial arts background? Uh, I spent many years uh, training in Wushu, and my combat sport was actually Tai Chi, so I used to kickbox of Tai Chi. And then uh, my specialty is the rope dart, if anybody knows what that means. It's like Scorpion in Mortal Kombat. Okay. He throws a spear, he pulls you back. That's a real thing. That's a real thing. Actually, the guy who invented, who, uh, who did the, 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 the movement for that game. The motion capture dude. Motion capture, Daniel Pacino. And he was actually my first teacher, and he was Scorpion. <laughs> really? He, he, okay, so he wait. Sub Zero, Johnny Cage. You learned rope dart fighting from Scorpion. Scorpion. I learned rope <laughs> dart fighting from Scorpion. Okay. And one of my best friends is Kung Lao, the guy who threw the hat. Oh no way. Oh. He, he's he's a Filipino guy, by the way. Name wow. You just blew producer Jordo's mind. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so what we're going to talk... Oh. One other thing that he hasn't mentioned yet is he has also worked as a stuntman. Oh, sweet. Did a little bit of work. It's, you know, mostly like, I'm gangbanger number five, mm-hmm. SWAT team member number four. I, I get my ass kicked a lot is basically what happens. <laughs> and, you know, I run. And, you know what's funny die. is, you know, you're here, uh, you know, kind of bouncing and, jou- you know, and happy, and the, the amount of injury that you've potentially avoided is enormous. You know, uh, last week we had Scott Lynch on, and he's just all, oh, my back. And I don't know what he did, slept on the floor or something. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For those not benefiting from the video, Scott is still here in the audience. Mm And he's, he's pointing at Howard with the the wrong finger. I don't understand. (laughs) That's not how you do it. That's not how you do it. It's okay, he won't be able to chase you down. It must be a pain. Okay, back on topic. Were we ever on topic in the first place? No. Um, I want to theme this podcast about talking regarding the things that writers do wrong that really kick a mar- true martial artist out of their books, where they say, that's just awful. Um, and I want you to just say a few pointers, things that when you're reading that would never happen in a million years. What, what's wrong with you? Okay, I'm, I'm going to start with two points. And mm-hmm. I think the first point that just pisses me off is the length of time it takes to train. Mm. Did you ever see that movie Wanted? Yeah. Where the guy yeah. goes from like a regular schmo to a master assassin in like three months. Mm. And that, that pisses me off because when I, when I first started training with my Tai Chi guy, you know, he's real old school, like, you know, carry buckets in your hands kind of guy. I spent two weeks walking around in a circle, literally because we were learning something called Bagua, which is like eight diagram boxing, you walk in circles. So I, I spent two weeks walking in a circle, and then I walked, spent the next two weeks walking the circle the other way. 
So my first month was literally walking in a circle. I, I fuck with you not. It was ridiculous. This, this is how puppetry training goes, too. Yeah. You do repetition over and over again. So it takes many, many years to get decent. Um, one of the big problems I had with uh, real time, okay, besides book six through nine, was... <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the, the Heron Mark sword, when did Ran get that? Um, so uh, just keep in mind that he's actually a reincarnated um, guy that's four, 400 years old. Okay. No, in fairness, in fairness, though, if that didn't come across in the text no, that's, for Wesley. That's, that's kind of an excuse. Um, and yes, it is one of the things people have pointed out a lot that in book two, Rand defeats a master swordsman. Um, and at this point, like three months have passed or, or, yeah. or so right. since the beginning when he was an untrained farm boy who'd never held a sword. Because if you're getting your hair marks, or even in the previous guys who've, or mm -hmm. I think uh, his father, Cam Altor, yeah. got it in what? He, he got a, he it? Went, he went to war. For, in, right. in, in, I, I'm not sure that that time. Sorry. Okay. But getting a hair mark sword that easily within like, say two to four years, is like getting your black belt in Taekwondo in like, you know, a year. It just, what's that Heron Mark sword worth then if you're getting it so easily? Okay, so, so that was point number one. What else, uh, what else bothers you? Uh, and this one's actually very easy to manage, is uh, weapon weight. I think, you know, I don't know how many of you guys played D&D &D in the past, but you get your encumbrance and you can hold this much weight and you know half that weight's gonna be a bag of gold coins. <laughs> and this person is walking around for like a week with like full chain mail, his swords, he's holding a sword out the entire time, and he's got a bag of coins, and that's how he's rolling is, you know, he's walking around killing and hacking and carrying bags of coins. Don't forget but, the 10-foot pole. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the poor horse. The horse is like, what the hell? Why are you carrying all this stuff? But in reality, you know, there's a really good reason why you have a sheath, and it's because when you hold a sword, they're really heavy. You know, when you, like, um, right now for fencing, you know, the typical epee or foil is like less than half a pound. And what happens with that is, if a weapon is so light, you can move it around with your, with your wrist. And that's how you're supposed to fence these days, is with your wrist. But in reality, a sword's like three to five pounds. And because of the physics of how heavy a sword is, you can't actually swing with your wrist. You, got, you can't even swing with your arms. You gotta swing with your, with your legs. It's like, it's like swinging a baseball bat. So suddenly, the entire physics of how a weapon is used is completely different from what you think it is. So when I see, you know, guys like Conan's holding his sword out, and well, he is Conan. Yeah, he's Conan. Yeah, never mind. He's, Anybody yeah. besides Conan holding his sword out for more than like 10 minutes at a time is lying. Yeah. Excellent. That's, one, that's exactly the sort of stuff that we wanted to, uh, to talk about here. Um, let's go ahead and do our book of the week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. It is your book! Oh, am I, am I, am I, am I, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell us about your book. So Again. Again, yes. <laughs> yes. The Lives of Tao is a modern-day science fiction. I already said that part. Okay, so, so what The Lives of Tao does is um, I, I'm kind of tired of the heroes that, you know, who were trained for it. They were destined to be good heroes. I can't, you know, the whole fate faded or the, you know, you were, you were a, a talented young boy that is now a, a great hero. So I took a middle-aged guy who was who had opportunities to succeed, but never had. You know, he's overweight, he's a loser, he low self-esteem, very low social skills. And then I had him, you know, go through this really rigorous training process to become a spy and a secret agent. So, and that was him spending, you know, even now I would say, you know, it took a year in the book, but that's actually really short. But it was about him coming of age at a later period in his life where he can make something of himself and kind of, you know, I'm messing this all up. It's how he re reborns, he reborns how, remolds how he's made. Awesome. Yeah. And that is Lives, on Audible. Lives of Tao. Lives of Tao, and it's narrated it's by Mikhail Namara, uh, Naramore, excuse me. And how can they get it, Howard? Head out to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. You can start a 30-day free trial and pick up. The Lives of Tao by Wesley Chu. And I would assume by reading this book, you probably have a lot of interesting martial arts going on, and they can get a realistic dose of what it might be like. I actually was able to, um, from a stuntman background, you always want to choreograph every single move step by step. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, positioning here, angle there, punch here, just how you kind of take the shot. Uh, I used to be able to reenact every single scene in this book. Wow. Until nifty. about like three or four years ago, then I realized that I'm not so limber anymore. <laughs> and, and then you really can't do that. But um, and you should put them all on YouTube. <laughs> no, seriously. Like that would be the best promotion for this book is YouTube vi videos of the stunts with you and some stunt um, people friends. Well, I'm a little retired because like, like, back in the day when, when, you're, when you're fighting, you're sparring, and like you take a punch, you're like, oh, yeah, that's a really good hit. And then at one point in your life, where you hit a certain point and, you're, and you get hit in the head, you're like, that's a concussion. Yeah. And, and then, like, you know what? I, don't, I never hit that first one. I, yeah. I think I was 10 when I figured that out. No, 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 don't hit me in the head. Don't hit me anywhere. Well, and that, that is actually another place that people go, I think, astray mm. when they're writing is that their characters get injured, but they don't deal with the injuries. This is actually a, a good segue. I actually want to talk. Wesley, at what point do you as a writer, I mean, if you've done stunt work, um, I would assume that part of this is movie magic and the fight scenes go on longer than they realistically should. And there's like, you know, you've got the kind of showmanship. As a writer, how, how much do you strive for that? Kind of the cinematic fun fights versus the, this is brutally realistic and if you get punched in the head, you have a concussion for weeks and it's not just, oh, I get knocked out and now I wake up. Well, I mean, there's, a, there's two points here. So first to Mary's question about guys who recover real quick. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been in a real fight, or, like, or like just like, even like you worked out really hard for a day and you're not used to it, you're done for the next three, four days. So it's, I think it's called the video game syndrome where, you know, 
Mario gets smashed, and then the next day he's like, oh, I'm ready to go. Let's go, guys. <laughs> so that's a, that's a common tendency in, in writing that, you know, I think I'm a victim of, too, is mm -hmm. I, like to get my, I like to get my main character beat up a lot. And the next day he's like, I'm ready for more. And then for, uh, for Brandon's question, uh, s cinematic writing, I mean, stunt work for, for movies and cinema is the complete opposite of for writing. For writing, you know, if I write down every single nuance right. in a fight scene, it's boring. It really is. And, and my, when I first started writing, I did that. I wrote every single thing because, you know, I'm authentic. And then my wife read it and she was like, you know, you're just mentally masturbating. <laughs> you know, and, and she's right because in my head I'm having this intricate fight scene, but in reality, nobody cares. Nobody really cares. I mean, so when you have a scene for writing, you want to strip it down and turn it, make it emotional, you know. Mm. The, the impact, the effect of the hit, what's going to happen with the fight. That's what the reader really cares about. You know, not, not my hand movements are doing this and you know, I'm doing that. Nobody cares about that. You know, what's really fascinating for me is that a year ago at Gen Con, when we recorded with uh, Shanna Germain and talked about uh, writing rom romance, mm -hmm. and specifically, you know, writing sex, she said exactly the same thing, mm -hmm. which was if you describe, you know, tab A, slot B, it's boring. What you describe is the emotional perception that your point of view character is having with what's going on, and that is what engages the reader. Right. And that is the thing also that fiction can do best mm. that, you know, that, that films can't, which is why if you're learning your storytelling strictly from a visual medium like film and television, that it's, it's not going to translate as well into fiction, in, into prose fiction, because it, it's a different medium. No, that's an excellent point. Um, I think Mary's hit it dead on. Uh, the thing I want to mention in this, though, is kind of going back to my original slightly leading question, um, is this idea is, is, is there a place for just saying, okay, you know what, yes, my character shouldn't be up and fighting the next day, but this makes a better story. Um, and I think there is. I think there's an argument for it. In fact, I'll, I'll share a little story. There's a series of YouTube videos about um, a... Um, a guy who's really up on his history. He knows his stuff. I don't remember what his name is, but he did one on, uh, on swords and what it sounds like to unsheath a sword, right? And that sound that you're all hearing in your head of a sword unsheathing is actually the sound that an uh, iron rod makes when a spatula is run across it because that's who, how they make the sound for the movie. The guy, um, after, after Effects, adds in that sound because it's what we all expect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, the real sound is just kind of a quiet rasp. Um, but you wouldn't be able to hear that on the screen, and it would actually sound faker to you on the screen, um, particularly in the early days of movie. It, would have, it just would have been silent, and you would have been like, wait a minute, it's silent. This sounds fake. Um, and so they started adding these things in, and they become tropes. And so I watched this, um, this, this video, and I'm like, oh, man, we're all doing this horribly wrong. This guy is so on the uh, so right. I need to change the way I think about everything. Um, and then I went on online to the, the comment thread, and everyone's like, yeah, that's true, but it's movie magic. And we accept, I'm perfectly willing to accept when I'm in that world that, you know, the, the actors probably aren't saying a lot of those lines right then. In fact, they're saying the exact perfect lines that someone wrote for them to say. It is not real life, and certain genres were okay with this. And I started to think, you know what? This is about the illusion of entertainment. It's I'm not writing a thesis on accurate representation of medieval life. I'm writing a fun story with characters and the engaging characters are what we're talking about. It's the same sort of thing. And in that case, 
having your character get up the next day may just be the right choice. Yes, I, I agree with that, that, that the, the idea that, you know, if it serves the story and moves the mm -hmm. thing forward, you, you go with it. The, the one thing that I, I want people to think about, though, when they're looking at my character has been badly injured, is yes. that a lot of times that gives you an opportunity for more interesting right. complications and conflict than you would if the character remained uninjured. That, that it's a missed opportunity. Right. Um, on the other hand, you know, from theater, I know that there have been times when I have been badly injured on stage with, stage with a live microphone and an audience, and I just kept going as if it didn't happen. So it is, you know, it is true that sometimes right. these guys probably would just get up and be like, all right, I'm just going to, yeah, everything's a little wonky, but adrenaline does a lot. Well, I mean, and also to put in perspective, you know, a lot of our characters who are, who have, are fighting wars or who live this kind of life, are probably kind of used to it, right? And, and so for us, you know, personally, you know, I'm, I used to do that, but not at a professional level where I'm going through this day in and day out. I'm just doing it for fun. So maybe some of these guys can handle this kind of, you know, physical abuse. Right. Right. Uh, I think I'm not getting at this one specific. I just am raising the issue for our readers. For mm -hmm. instance, I am now going to when I unsheathe the sword, I'm going to describe it the right way. Um, I went and unsheathed my swords that I've got at home in each of them. I'm like, all right, this is what it sounds like. I've got to, you know, I've, I've got to make sure. I don't know if I've done it wrong before, but in the future I'm going to make sure. Because this isn't going to destroy the illusion for the reader. This is going to help the illusion for a reader as opposed to a movie. But I'm sure there are things like the sword, um, such as the one I think of most is making the fight scenes last longer than they really should. Um, realistic fighting is fast and brutal and you're done. And sometimes that's the right thing to do in a book, but sometimes... There's time, you want to have time for some witty jibes back and forth and things like this, and it makes a better story. And so they, they, I, I guess I'm saying, listeners, think about that balance between realism and cinematic storytelling. Well, cinematic's the wrong term, but narrative storytelling, that, what you want to use. Right. I mean, if you've ever seen any like, real sword play, like these two masters go at it, you know, they're standing there for a while, kind of gauging each other. They're kind of like eyeballing what each other does, and boom, it's done. Yep. Somebody's dead. Yep. And if you ever see like real like traditional sword play, it's two guys holding their you know holding their swords out. They're never swinging because mm -hmm. you always want to keep your weapon in front of you. They're sliding back and forth. Boom, done. Somebody's dead, and it's actually kind of boring. Right. Or if there's a shield, they raise their shield and come in swinging as fast yeah. as they can. Um, it, it's really kind of interesting. And real martial art fighting usually ends up on the floor with someone in a headlock getting punched. <laughs> um, that doesn't look real cool on the screen or on the page, but that's what happens. Am I right? Yeah, that's, and that's that's up on the ground usually. Yeah. One of the, I would I would argue that this balance between cinematic and realistic is struck by uh, the reaction that you elicit from the reader. Mm -hmm. If what you've done knocks the reader out of the story, consistently knocks all of your readers yeah. out of the story, yeah. you've done it wrong. If it knocks all of the professionally trained martial artists out of the story, you're probably still okay unless they come for you. <laughs> <laughs> that Brandon, I'm going to get him for that. All right, um, let's bring it out with a writing prompt. Okay. Um, we're going to go fantasy this time, and I want you to write a scene in any world where a pirate can beat a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does it have to be a ninja? 
it has it to has be a to ninja. Be a ninja. He just said, yep. If you ever get a chance, look at the Deadliest Warrior. They actually have a pirate being the ninja, and it pisses me off. <laughs> it just, ugh. This is Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.